From news across the world to events in your community, hear about it all on WKOK Sunrise on News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. And thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. Rob Center, fabulous producer, displaying his fabulosity in every way today. We very much appreciate his help and hard work. Matt Catrillo is our newsroom, one of our reporters here, Sarah Lover. So we appreciate everybody teaming up. On the news line with us now, Professor Andrew Stoll is back on the line. He is an associate professor of environmental studies and sciences at Bucknell University, and he has one of those jobs where the more you get into it, the more you do, the more you love it, the more time clicks by fast, and he is uh, doing research as it relates to the hurricane and tropical storm Agnes of 1972, so it's got to be fascinating work, I bet. Good morning, Professor. Thanks for calling in again today. Good morning, Mark. Yes, thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. Just tell me, <laughs> I, I just alluded to it, give me some sort of a sense of the zeal that goes into looking into this and digging deeper and finding out more. This prevents you from having to get a job and go to work. I mean, this idea of doing this kind of research. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely as a professor at Bucknell, it's part of our job. Uh, creating new knowledge, finding the lessons in, uh, in the past. As a historian, that's my main work. Uh, I believe that the people who lived before us, the people who have blazed the trail we're on, they have a lot of wisdom, and they've left it in different ways. They left it in their memories, they left it in written records that might be personal diaries or letters, and they've left it in public records and government offices and libraries. Uh, and we do a disservice to ourselves as as doers of our generation if we don't heed their wisdom, if we don't understand what they went through and we don't try to glean the lessons from their experiences. So, yes, it's a bit, it's a bit of work. Um, it's a bit of sleuthing. Uh, I like to think of it as a detective when you're in the library, pouring through some written records, trying to find clues, piecing things together. Uh, but I really like that. And as a teacher, it's a wonderful opportunity to speak with young people, students, about what it takes to, to create the reports that we eventually see from, from all, all kinds of researchers when they do get in front of us in the news, uh, that's the, the end process of sometimes multi-year steps uh, to create those reports and to glean those, those lessons. So, yeah, it's, it's part of the job. I love it. Well, you and researcher, uh, student researcher Bethany Finch uh, is uh, from the class of 23, are working on researching the Agnes Flood of 1972. Uh, let me ask you first about a little bit about uh, geology and uh, maybe our, our physical earth, and then I'm going to ask you about the people. Uh, so first of all, in terms of the, I'm going to use a term, I don't really know what it means, geomorphology, this idea of how things change on the earth and so on. How did our area change after Agnes? Yeah, great question. Great question. So, you know, much, much, many, 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 many years ago, the the riverbed formed, and that was well before the communities that we know in Susquehanna Valley today. And as your question points to, those kind of geological foundations did shape specifically how water moves uh, in our area. When a raindrop hits the surface of the earth, it takes its course to the nearby tributary or small creek, and then down to the Susquehanna main stem, and that main stem passes through many of our river towns, all on its way down to the Chesapeake Bay. And so the, the rock formations that are below the surface of the earth, uh, the topography and how 
the earth is tilted toward those creeks and streams and rivers. Uh, that was all kind of out of our hands, so to speak. Um, remarkably, geomorphologists say that with the incredible amount of rain, um, there was a, some change to the rivers and, and streams after Hurricane Agnes. And it came because the rain brought with it sediment from the surface of the earth, loose topsoil that filled into the creeks in certain places and filled into the river in certain places. And then down the river, you know, kind of backed up behind dams along the way. So in those ways, the river certainly did change as a result of Agnes. But I think, as, our, as we'll talk about soon, it wasn't the most dynamic or visible change. Those happened in, in the, the human communities along the river. All right, so give us this, the, the, the timeline of that, kind of how we were and how we were uh, immediately after Agnes, and you can take it, the timeline right up to now. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's always staggering to me when I look at the record and talk with people in our, in our communities is just the massive human toll. I mean, sadly, we, there were 50 Pennsylvanians that died as a result of this storm, 200,000 Pennsylvanians that were rendered homeless had to move out of their their homes, and there were billions of dollars in property damage and crop damage. And so those are things that people felt intimately, and they saw in their own households, and they also saw in their communities, you know, retail stores that were flooded and had to be gutted. Uh, many vivid memories in our town of the smell of, of the dirt or the mud, the flood mud, um, people digging out after and piling up their belongings, their, their histories, on the curb to be taken away to a, a landfill or a dump. Um, Milton, in our, ta- in our area, experienced $29 million of property damage, and some of that was never built back. Um, and one of the things that we're really looking into in our research is the choices that river towns made after Hurricane Agnes, after experiencing the trauma and, and damage, about how to build back. Um, and they made different choices. So if you go to Milton, you notice um, across from the, the river there, there's a big open space um, near the Moose Lodge. Um, and that used to be you know, populated with homes and stores. But the town decided in the, in the early 70s after the storm not to build back there, to relocate some houses and buildings, and to keep that area free from potential flood in the future. And Lewisburg eventually decided the same, but many years later, along 6th Street and Huffnagel Park. Um, and so I think those questions about how towns rebuild are really important for us today, not just because the towns we live in actually bear the legacy of those choices back then, but because they give us some insight into our current crisis with the pandemic. Because every choice with rebuilding back in any town had to try to balance the individual liberties of property and life and pursuit of happiness and all those protected in the Constitution, as well as the public interest. How do we protect our town, not just my stuff, but our town from a flood or crisis again? Well, and I think our resolve in terms of governmentally how we regulate our built-out community in the floodplain has evolved. You just can't build in the floodplain anytime you want to, you know, saying to your governmental leaders or your insurance company, well, we'll clean up if we get flooded. You don't have that option these days. You're exactly right, and that's actually one of the major consequences of Agnes. Um, after 1972, the federal government did uh, allow Congress to appropriate millions and billions of dollars to help Pennsylvania build back, and they realized we can't keep doing this, 
um, for every town and every river flood that happens in our country. Um, we need to find a different way of managing the, the financial risk of floods, let alone the human risk. And so what they did is they, they really asked engineers to help them, and they said, look, we have to shift from trying to protect the water at the source of a dam or a levee or an earthen bank and actually try to protect the water and move the water upstream along all different kinds of land uses along the river. And this is what really birthed flood, ordinate flood zoning and uh, land use regulations in the United States in the 1970s. And you can probably already tell, like once you ask individual property owners to account for flood risk on their properties rather than just move the water in the river or with a dam, again, you build that question, that tension of individual choice versus public interest. And so the 1970s and in Pennsylvania, we were the kind of the experimental space for these uh, regulations and ordinances. And in some cases they've worked, but in some cases they've created the conditions we have of uh, divisiveness we have in our society and in our, our state today. So it's really an open question of how we continue to manage floods. But the, the issue of municipalities and how they you know, generate a tax revenue in the flood zone because they cannot have a lot of properties there, um, that's a really open question. A lot of our river towns in our area face that. Tell me about uh, your call. We have just a moment left in this segment, but tell me about sure. your call for assistance, uh, photographs. Uh, you'd like us to get a little active and, and to uh, uh, help get some cataloging underway. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, so one of the things we recognize is so many people in our area have the wisdom and experience with Agnes from 1972. Um, the, the people who were making decisions in that time are now getting up in years and we'd love to talk with them and learn their story. And so my research student and I and many, a couple other collaborators are asking folks who have stories they'd like to share to reach out to us so we can do an interview with you. You can send us an email at agnesrevisited at gmail.com. agnesrevisited at gmail.com. And once we hear from you, we'll reach out. We'll talk about what an interview would entail. Everything would be with the interviewee's consent in terms of how we record it, what information we'd be able to use. We would give you a copy of the recording as well as the transcript, and uh, we would use that information in getting this fuller picture of how different river towns rebuilt and what Agnes did to our to our Susquehanna Valley. And now I know I'm going to talk with you a little bit later today or this morning. Uh, I can give the information about the, uh, the community photos at that time, but in a similar similar vein, we're trying to collect photos from folks and display them at Bucknell over the next year. Um, so if you have already scanned digital photos, go ahead and email them to that same address, agnesrevisited at gmail.com. And, uh, yes, we're going to talk at 7.40 this morning. We'll talk about this resilience and character that you are learning more about uh, for the people who are impacted by the flooding. And we'll talk about, uh, we spoke briefly a couple of weeks ago, and you really drew some clear parallel lines between what happened then and the pandemic. And maybe we were a little even better prepared around here for the pandemic because of our Agnes uh, experience. So uh, we're going to talk about that at 7.40. Professor Stahl, thank you. We're going to place you on hold. You can stay on the line or call back at 740. But uh, thank you for this half of the interview, and then we'll talk to you shortly.
Thank you, Mark. That is Professor Andrew Stoll, uh, is an associate professor of environmental studies and sciences at Bucknell University. Uh, deep research into the Agnes Flood of 72, uh, not only the geography, but the people, our resilience, our recovery, our connections to the pandemic today. That Gmail he mentioned, Agnes Revisited at gmail.com. News and interviews from across the world and right here in the central Susquehanna Valley. This is WKOK Sunrise on News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. Thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. Rob Center is uh, producing our program. That's why everything's falling together nicely. And we have uh, back on the news line with us now Andrew Stoll. He's a professor of environmental studies and sciences at Bucknell University, an associate professor, and has done a lot of research into the Agnes Flood of 1972 and what precedes it in our valley and uh, the many, many things that happened after the flood. He and Bethany Finch, a student researcher in the class of 23, are working on making sure that uh, this is well documented in the years ahead and codified and that folks are interviewed and their photographs are uh, placed in archives. Uh, Agnes revisited at gmail.com. Professor Stoll, thank you again for calling in today. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. And if what what would you like me to email to Agnes Revisited at Gmail dot com? I mean, any jokes you have, any really good one liners, <laughs> those would be wonderful. <laughs> what what else related to Agnes? Thank you, of course. Yeah, we are looking for um, community photos, and so one of the things about a flood and a big disaster like that is often the best documentarians are the folks that are just close to the scene who get there first and who have an eye for what the place looked like and what, what it meant to them. And they snap photos of things that to an outside observer might just seem like a normal road or a street, but to that individual documentarian, that, that resident, that it really captures a whole lot of meaning. So we know that there are photos out there. They might actually be in attics or basements or in closets. And we would love uh, folks to join in with us and uh, send on those photos either in physical form or digital form so we can collect and create a big community mural, big community exhibit. And so we're starting that process now. Uh, we obviously do have access to the digitized photos from the state archives, and there's a bunch of those, but mostly from the Wilkes-Barre region and Harrisburg region um, as they garnered a lot of attention. Uh, so if, if folks do have photos lying around, or if they think they might want to go on a little uh, treasure hunt uh, during these kind of stay-at-home times, if you find some, you can send your physical copies in, uh, and we will take good care of them, scan them, and send them back to you. So I'd like to give an address on the air, if I can, Mark. Yes, please. So if you have a physical uh, copy of a photograph, you can send it to Kathy Vino's at this address. That's 25 Wilson Circle in Milton 17847 again that's 25 Wilson Circle in Milton at 17847 and if you send those in by July 18th we can definitely scan those take good care send them back to you um, and make sure that you're aware when the community exhibit will be available for folks to come take a look um, you know, we know that adage that pictures tell a thousand words, and it's really powerful when you can see all sorts of, of pictures, not just of the, 
the damage of the storm, but the recovery efforts, too. Um, I think that's one of the main reasons why Bethany and I and so many other people are interested in this event. Not so much of what happened uh, with the damage of the storm, but what happened after when people rallied together, uh, worked together, and made decisions to rebuild our valley into what it is today. Well, describe that in much greater detail, this uh, sort of this resilience and character that uh, maybe we all knew we had, but uh, we got to see in plain sight and many, many people afterward. Yeah, I think um, it's easy you know, for me as someone who did not grow up in this area and only, only moved here about 10 years ago. Um, it's easy for me to, to not really know the history and not really see it as directly connected or even relevant or comparable, but in many ways it is, and the recovery really of Agnes really speaks to that. I mean, so many people we've interviewed talk about the immediate moments after the storm where uh, they looked around and everyone was helping out, um, and they would use the term hippies, right? Those hippies were, were helping out. This is the early 1970s. Um, they also talked a lot about the Mennonite community in our area uh, coming into towns and, and helping, singing songs to, to help heal the trauma of, of lost items or lost friends and relatives, baking, um, just helping uh, move materials that were, that were destroyed and needed to be taken out to the curb. Um, everyone was, was, was chiming in and, and helping out. Uh, and that reminds me a lot of today, because we do have a lot of social division across our, our country and in our state and in our communities, um, just by political party, by age, by religion by race, by economic status, uh, but floods, it seems, um, can erase those differences for a little while, and they really, those moments of people working side by side, they stick with people, uh, and it's something that they remember first when we ask them about Agnes, uh, is, is working together to make this happen, um, and so that's something I think our community can draw on uh, in times of crisis. It's okay to have differences, we all recognize that, and that's what makes us stronger. Um, but when the differences keep us apart too much or prevent us from working together when we need each other most, then we're not as strong as we can be. Well, tell me about the connection to the pandemic. You can see that character in plain sight uh, nowadays. Yeah, I think um, the pandemic is somewhat uh, comparable, and we should try to make um, the lessons apply. I think the one thing that's really different, and I spoke about this in an earlier call, is just to kind of like the time dimension. You know, Agnes happened over the span of three or four days, and the damage was done, immediate, visible, and personal. Um, and then everyone started to build back with the freedom of knowledge that, okay, we can be out in public and work together. With the pandemic, it's more protracted on purpose. You know, our, our officials asked us to, to flatten the curve and actually make this last longer so that we could save lives. And we've also asked to distance physically and socially, wear masks, uh, not hug each other. Um, and so that kind of personal connection is something we're asked to do over a distance for someone maybe we don't know who's not, not being directly affected in our family, but maybe somewhere else in the county or somewhere else in the state. And so I think that's kind of where we're challenged right now, where we are with however many weeks we are into COVID-19 in Pennsylvania is how do we keep up that sense of doing this for the greater good when maybe we don't see it in our counties that are back to green or we don't, might even see it in our neighborhoods or, um, you know, it's been several weeks where we've been inside. Um, I think 
that said, there's, there's so many resources out there that I'm noticing in my community that remind me of Agnes, where people are not waiting you know, for state or federal governments to provide aid. Um, they're, they're rallying each other. They're, they're giving what they have, their time. They're, they're sewing masks for each other. Um, they're providing food um, to frontline workers. They're supporting local businesses who couldn't open up um, or couldn't have full capacity. And they're doing that because they know that what the value of a community is um, in times of struggle. Um, and so there, I think that's where I see the spirit of Agnes and Agnes Recovery shining through in 2020. Well, maybe maybe that's maybe that's just us in general. We just need uh, uh, something on our timeline to make that show. I mean, we've raised money for flooding in the Mississippi Valley over the years, and for a wide range of topics around here. Uh, you know, starting you know joint uh, fundraising efforts for various issues that have popped up, flooding and and other activities. So um, doesn't surprise me that uh, we've responded in the way that we have. All of this uh, coming to any kind of a culmination as we approach the 50th anniversary of Agnes? Yes, yeah, thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's our real um, target or horizon is 2022 when we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Agnes. So every year is important for this memory of this storm and flood, but that, that year we think we deserves a real special commemoration. So Bethany and I and many other collaborators in our region, from Sunbury on up to Bloomsburg in central Pennsylvania here, um, we're looking for uh, looking toward a series of performances actually in the river towns that take the stories we've learned and the archival materials we found in government records and translate them into a public event that really gleans the major lessons and memories of Hurricane Agnes, mostly for this generation that hasn't yet experienced uh, a super transformative storm like Agnes here in central PA, so that they can really carry the legacy and carry it forward uh, to prevent and minimize damage from future storms. We want to perform those uh, stories and those events in river towns, but also take it all the way down to Harrisburg and let whatever administration is in the governor's office know, hey, these, these communities of central Pennsylvania, these river towns are the heart and soul of Pennsylvania, and we live on the river. Historically, that's been our blessing, but sometimes it's a curse, and we need support to be able to protect our communities and keep them strong uh, when we have the next flood. So that's what we're looking forward to. We'll have events all this coming year. We'll be collecting stories for the next two years. Uh, people can email agnesrevisited at gmail.com to get involved. Uh, but they'll certainly see us out and about over the next uh, several months when we're able to be out and about uh, talking about this, collecting stories, collecting photos, and trying to put together a series of performances that really represent what this storm means to us today. All right, so agnesrevisited at gmail.com. I can email you at that and volunteer myself to be interviewed to get my story, or everybody can offer their story up via that uh, email, correct? That's correct. Okay. Yes, and that's just a, kind of a placeholder for now, because ordinarily we would be out there talking with folks where they are, and at the YMCA or in the library or in the communities. Uh, but right now when we have to be a bit distant, please just email that and we can find a way to connect and uh, talk to one another. Okay, and then uh, the uh, the 
physical address of Kathy Vinios at 25 Wilson Circle in Milton, 17847. That is for us to mail copies of uh, valuable photographs that would, would help in the Agnes archives, correct? Correct. And I know that's a big ask, you know, to, to part with temporarily a physical photograph. So I respect what that means to ask that. Uh, we'll, we'll just promise we'll take good care of them and send them back to you. Um, if you already have a digital scan, you can just email that file to the same Gmail address. But if you don't, we can do it for you, and we'll take care of the photo and send it back. All right, last but not least, a telephone number. Lots of our folks who are alive then don't use uh, the uh, Gmail, so what's the best way for them to contact someone? Yes, thank you very much, Mark, for that. Uh, you can call my office at Bucknell, which transfers to my computer at all times of the year. It's area code 570-577-1974. 1974. Okay, very well. Thank you so much, Professor Stahl. Thanks for calling in today. Thanks for all you're doing, and you have an open mic over the next couple of years to keep us informed about these activities and events. Thank you so much, Mark. Professor Andrew Stoll, uh, Associate Professor of Environmental Sciences, uh, Environmental Studies and Sciences at Bucknell University, working with Bethany Finch and others uh, on research into the Agnes Flood of 72. Uh, you can email your name and phone number to agnesrevisited at gmail.com. If you'd like to offer yourself up for an interview and to tell your story, you can um, snail mail Kathy Vinios, 25 Wilson Circle, Milton, 17847, if you have photographs, and you can call 570-577-1974 and call the newsroom if you missed any of that good data.